Merchant, one opportunity, she's darting down that touchline, the flag stays down. Look at the pace of Lydia Thompson. Oh, she saw the space, it's a brilliant dummy, Maggie Alfonsi, and it's Kay Wilson after it, just needs to fall on it. Again. Oh, she's driving away, all the way to the line, Marty Packer. Scrum time. And Hunter is driving over. She's up to the 22. Emily Scarrett. Marley Packer powering away to the line. Karen Pukwa. Fleetwood. Hunter. Now there's space. Lovely dummy from Taylor. It's Alfonsi. It's Waterman. It's Danielle Waterman. It's the 22 meter line. Hunt. McLean is Scarrett. But a much flatter ball. Emily Scarrett. Emily Scarrett is going to go all the way. And there it is. England are world champions. So, yeah, so I was a typical Bobby scrum half from the Midlands, really. And, um, and I love playing and I didn't really like coaches. And I remember playing for the for North Mids one game and um, I scored a try from the halfway. Their winger was was looking at somebody in the crowd. And so I, I went to school and came back. I had a shout from the sideline of, Streety, what are you doing? You can't run from box six. You have to kick from box six. I realised there'd been some sort of plan in the change room before we went out that I hadn't really listened to. Um, so I started having a bit of a shout back, back and the coach was quite highly ranked. Um, we started, it was when he was two two replacements, so they didn't have a replacement nine on the bench. He went, if I had a replacement nine, you'd be off. I said, well, you we haven't, so I'm sticking on here. Um, so after the game, I was sort of early 20s, and I just thought, um, you know, if these guys are supposed to be really good at coaching, and again, with my inflated ego of being the best scrum half in the world... Um, I'll get into that coaching. Um, so, looked up the RFU stuff. Um, Ian Bletcher, who you, you probably know, Raymond. Yeah, yeah. Hello, friends with me and Smithy now. Um, looked up how to do it. And so, started doing some coaching courses. And that got me on the, the road to coaching, really. Not not liking coaches was my routine. <laughs> That's such an inspirational message there. Yeah, absolutely. Good start. Good start. Graham, what about yourself? Well, I actually started coaching. Uh, I didn't start playing rugby till I was 18. Uh, um, well, just before I was 18 at Wolverhampton. Uh, summer of 1977 was my first rugby training session after after being a, a pretty decent schoolboy goalkeeper who was told by a guy called Sammy Chung that I'll never be a professional. So I ate and drank too much for a year and a bit and got extremely big. Um, played at Wolverhampton and went very quickly to Mosley and it was then about 22 I was asked to come back and help with some of the age group kids and basically all I did was coach them like they were adults because that's what I was experienced as a player at and, and totally the wrong thing to do and, and so that's when I started coaching and, and made a lot of mistakes and, uh, and uh, sort of coached as I played, really, I was fortunate to be coached by a number of very, very, very good coaches, unlike Streety. And I know the guy who Streety's talking about as well. Um, and it was it was the attention to detail that hooked me, you know, getting things right and, and 
then it progressed into into a full-time job in 1993. So I'd coached from a very early age, but coached very badly. Um, and you don't realise that you're doing it badly until about five years later when you you start learning about how to work with children and think, God, did I really do that? Because I was usually quite loud in the bar afterwards, I usually get invited into lots of presidents' teams um, because I'd be quite entertaining after a few beers. Well, in my head, I was. Yeah. Um, and I would played um, in it was yeah, Selly Oak, and we got back to a pub on the uh, not far from Birmingham Unity. And I'd coach anybody at the time that asked me. I was trying. I was in my early twenties. Was was out pretty much as in the old days, like most people were every night of the week, just trying to coach anybody. Um, and a girl came up to me called Vicky Foster, is now head of performance at British Badminton, I think. And um, she said, oh, I've heard you do coaching. And um, I said, sure, do you want to come and do some coaching with us? And it was Birmingham Uni women's team. And at the time, I said, I didn't really know that women played rugby, really. I said, oh, do, do you actually women play? And she went, well, you, why don't you come and have a, have a find out? So after Vicky hounded me for a couple of weeks on the phone, um, Thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. Went down, and it was there's about 80 girls down there. Obviously, you know, and I'd spent ages working on this plan. I got there, and Vicky said, Right, there's, there's about 80 players, three of uh, one of them plays for England, two play for English students, and 77 of them have never seen a ball before. And I'm like, Ah, so I ripped up this, um, ripped up this big sort of uh document that I was taking with me, and literally within the first, first session, just found them so engaging, so responsive so wanting to learn whereas at the time when I was you know 18 year old lads who think they know everything and all that type of stuff have you ever done this before I've done passing or have you really well you know that and actually just had a whole body of people that just just had a different feel about it I just really enjoyed it um so from that I got invited to do something with North students I've, I've still got the I think 92 that was I still got the shirt in my wardrobe just behind me actually um and English students and then on so when David Shaw had this idea of having academies with rugby clubs. I was a Qantas about time, um, earning a fair bit of dough. Um, There's me and Nigel Redman who went 15 girls, 15 boys. Um, out of the 15 girls, nine of them played for England, five with me in 2014. Wow. Um, and um, yeah, so the I was living in Birmingham. Um, the job was 10 grand a year. Uh, the office was Twickenham and the school was in Bath. And um, <laughs> wow. I don't I had a red 950 Fiesta, popular, with no radio in, because that's all I can afford. Class. And, um, <laughs> and did that for two years. And, um, yeah, so that's that's where it all started, really, for me. Fantastic. I'd actually, as a, as a youth development officer, I coached the Midlands women at, at uh, Sutton Coalfield. Um, probably that would have been maybe uh, mid-'90s, because I became a development officer in '93. I also coached women for the Gladiator TV series. Oh, um, right. Because... Oh, uh, Jess has just jumped up. Oh, Jess. <laughs> uh, and uh, I had to teach uh, uh, Lightning and, and Jet had a tackle and obviously made sure that they understood that the tackler should end on top when they did the demonstrations with me. And uh, it, it happened because Robin Simpson worked with us in the... Uh, uh, sports development department to, to Birmingham uh, in Borsal Heath, which was not a great place to work. But anyway, so all the soccer, football, athletics, swimming, uh, rugby, we're all in one office. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the people working at, 
that office was Jane Sixsmith, one of the, the greatest hockey players the country's ever produced. Denise Lewis, you know, I used to train with Jane and Denise uh, when I was still playing and, and uh, was never anywhere near fit enough to bloody train with them, but I did. Um, and Judy Simpson got, uh, whose first, uh, original name as an as a Olympian was Judy Livermore, she got injured the first series of Gladiators in Powerball and her, her husband, Robin, asked me if I'd teach her how to tackle properly. And uh, I did. And then she went and told the other girls. And then I got a, a phone call from Nigel Lithgow and went down and did that. And so I'd had experience with women, but people need to understand that at Worcester, there was a hierarchy. And in the indoor centre, the men came first, then the under 21s, then the academy, and, and the women were bottom. So there was a couple of occasions when I asked the girls to leave the indoor centre. That's one of the things that got brought up about me and women. But I didn't like women's rugby, which wasn't true. I then uh, bumped into Street here at Loughborough when the, we were told that the England under, eight, under 19 girls had to train with the men's under 17 boys at the uh, camp, uh, the transitions camp at Loughborough. And initially myself and Chris Kibble said it wouldn't work, but we were told, well, you're going to make it work because we get extra funding. Gotcha. Um, and, and that's where I got involved with the girls in that, uh, uh, that would have been uh, August, 2003. Oh, and, um, and it was on that occasion that uh, we had a bit too much to drink and you challenged me to, to look at the job and, um, and then by the November, I was I was employed by the RFUW. So he, the question was really is that Gary was involved in women's rugby before you became the England assistant coach. Um, yeah. And you, <clears throat> the question really, we'll start with Gary. What was your first impression of Graham when you had to work with him? I know you knew each other, but did you have any impressions about what it was like to work with each other? Um. Well, it was interesting, really, because I'd seen a bit from the outside and um, I knew Graham's strengths as, as well. And I just thought there's a there's a bigger role he could play. So we, we, we chatted about this today, actually. And didn't there was no negative thoughts at all when we first met. He, he was a he was a he was a hard bloke that used to chase me around the Reading. See if I gave him a bit of lip when we played. <laughs> um, so I had that impression. But no, not really. I think that. The bit about us working together and that long, long vision was 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 probably the thing. It, it was, all, I, mean, I think, there's um, one chat about it a bit. It was it was hard the first few weeks, especially when you know we both went for for the main role. Um, I was fortunate enough to get it, um, but I think post that the first initial bit of those four weeks, then we had a vision how we were going to go and try to win the World Cup at some stage. When I got the job, I was given a role, and that role was very specific to make the England forwards the best forwards in the world, right? Uh, to the point that uh, Helen Clayton, Rob Clayton, the, uh, the ex-Saracens uh, flanker, after the World Cup in 26, gave me a gave me a, um, inscribed uh, pewter mug with, to Dr. Frankenstein, thank you for the monsters. <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I believe I did the job to, to the best of my ability. But I do remember conversations because Gary was always invited into conversations with Jeff and, and uh, especially in 2006 when he was in a hotel with four girls on his own as, as our backup sort of thing. We will, we will clarify that um, later. <laughs> and, and I remember conversations, but I was so focused on what my role was 
wasn't that I ignored Gary. It was that 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 didn't involve me. Sure, sure. And 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 what I remembered is the question of uh, uh, the questioning approach of challenging the thinking, which got me to challenge things. Really, why didn't we win in two thousand six? What was the missing factor? And um, you know, the missing factor in two thousand six were we weren't skillful enough and our backs weren't good enough. And, and, right. and, you know, under pressure against New Zealand, that for me was a factor. Um, and, and I, I, you know, no disrespect to anybody who was involved back then, but you have to look at why didn't we win? Yeah, of and, course. And, 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 and that's, on reflection, I remember the questions that Gary posed, and Gary, since then, has, has continued to pose those type of questions to people. Of course. Just, just to go back, Gary, <clears throat> could you explain to the coaches listening and to the people listening, really, why did England have to put people in a hotel in Edmonton? Um, uh, four of you, was it four or more? And there was yourself and four of the coaches. Why, why did you bring a, an England squad to a World Cup and then have to put four in a hotel down the road? So, yeah, so it's me and four players, um, of whom Casey McLean was one of them. Um, and there's a driving factor for both of us actually at the uh, um, the last night. And again, um, <laughs> strange enough, in the Barn Hotel where we um, where we said, well, let's let's not do this again. So to be honest, it was I thought it was good management. So what we were, obviously it was in Canada. It's a long way away with jet lag and stuff. And what we tried to do with the limited budget was, if we had some injuries at the World Cup, could we just fill them with with players that could drop in? Um, only a certain amount of certification, so we weren't allowed anywhere near the training grounds or the hotels or anywhere near the England team at all, and the IRB um, were very hot on that. So we had to go and stay in a different hotel. We trained on our own every day, um, went out, which was, um, was a bit of a slog. Um, the Probably the worst part about it, there was in the middle of the tour, there was, um, there was a school visit plan for the, the England for the team and the coaches to go, and and they were really tied up in, in their prep. You know, there's huge questions to win. So I got why they didn't. So it was decided that they didn't want to go. So um, somebody said, why don't we make them pretend they're the coach and the team? So we had to go into this school in Canada, pretending we were the, well, I was the World Cup coach with four of the, four of the squad answering Q&A about how amazing it is. Isn't it brilliant to be in a World Cup? Being no, mate, that's shocking. I mean, it was absolutely <laughs> awful. Um, but the um, yeah, so and the girls gave me a wallet after after that tour, which is still the wallet I carry around now. There's, they gave me four cards in it, and it's still in there, so I carry it every day. And um, but yeah, so that that's where we were. We pre um, post training every day, we had an update for the medics about where whenever needed, and and you know, fortunately for the girls that were involved, but they weren't. But yeah, for the uh, it was um, it was a long three weeks. A, a very a very very good friend of mine. He was the team manager for the USA under twenties at the at one of the World Cups they went to, or one of the World Championships they went to, and he showed me the the tournament documentation, and it's like it's like the size of a small house. It is unbelievable, and the people that you can't bring and the things you can't do and accreditation. So I understand when you had to stay down the road in a hotel, which might become as a bit of a surprise to Jess, but that happens a lot, and you will probably find in, even in France that New Zealand will have a couple of players hidden away somewhere saying, we've just flown them in from New Zealand. No, they haven't. They're just on the street, right? So that's it, yeah. Um, one final thing before I head to Jess was, 
obviously after 2006, you took part in the 2007 tournament, um, a Six Nations tournament. You'd won that, um, Grand Slam, in fact. And then Jeff Richards, head coach, stood down. Now, if I start with Graham first, great. Did you want the head coach job? Um, and how did you feel when, when Gary got it? Um, well, yeah, I mean, the 2007, the 2007 Six Nations actually set up the 2014 win because all those girls that were at that um, under-19s camp in, in, uh, in 2003 and the girls at Oldfield and uh, up at Hoffel in Durham matured. You know, and uh, players like Katie McLean, Sarah Hunter, Rachel Burford, and I could go on and on and on. And, just, and sorry, just quickly, Jim, sorry to interrupt. Could you explain to Jess and, and the audience uh, what is Hoffall and what? Because there was two RFUW academies. Two RFU academies originally before the uh, Premiership academies. One was down at Oldfield with Nigel and Gary, and then at Hoffall, which is a college. Uh, uh, um, Further Education College up near Durham was uh, Tosh Askew and uh, Joe Hull. Oh, who Joe Hull ended up being the coach of Scotland, and she's now—is it head of women's performance in Hong Kong or something yeah, like that? Yeah, head of head of women's performance. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and and so those were the two academies. Um, but the first the first game in 2007 of the Six Nations, we played Scotland, and I think we got including the players who would come off the bench. I think we've got eight new caps. And we actually, our KPIs were that we would probably lose at least two of the games in that season. Uh, and we beat Scotland 60-odd plus, and, and we won the Grand Slam. Yeah. And, and, and that was the nucleus for 2014, really. And to go back to your question, yeah, I did want the job, and I was mightily pissed off, and I didn't get it. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Gary, so uh, obviously you wanted it, of course you did. Um, you know, it's one of the plum jobs in English rugby, be the, be the head coach of, it, of an England senior programme. Um, when did you first decide to go for it? Did you expect to get it? Um, in your own mind, not necessarily what anybody else thinks, because this is about you, really. Um, you had experience of working with him. So <clears throat> yeah. how did you think it was going to go? Um, well, I wanted the job from probably two, 2001. So the, the old field... Um, when we started there, I'd made a big jump from a pretty uh, sort of well-funded career into this jump into being a full-time rugby coach. And, and so, the, so me and a load of the girls sat down and sort of said, what do I want? They were 16 years old. There's Rachel Burford, Nolly Waterman, Heather Fisher, Kim Oliver, George Gulliver, Kat Merchant, Claire Allen. Wow. I hope I missed Lois Moulding. I hope I missed anybody out there. Um, and we all said, what do we want to do? And everybody said, long-term goal. And they all went, oh, we want to win a World Cup. And I went, oh, yeah, I want to be head coach in the women's team. So that was sort of 2000, 2001, really. So that, that, was, that was my dream. Um, obviously, when Jeff was stepping down, um, yeah, I wanted it. Did I think I was going to get it? I, I really wasn't sure. I, I thought it was a good candidate. Graham's a good candidate. The, the other people who were on it were good candidates. I was just... Um, I thought I could do a good job on it. And I thought that me and Graham working together would do a really good job on it and um i know it's going to it was going to be shoved to a tough short term you know you, yeah. Graham's a big character and a very honest character as you're probably aware um and it was really yeah, it was really tough the first few weeks how we're going to deal with it sort of giving him some space to 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 think and then he became the best assistant 
coach I think anybody could ever ever hope for really. I suppose I'm I'm just curious how your uh, different coaching philosophies work together particularly when Gary you became head coach like how what was the the balance there like and Graham what was the how did the different philosophies work for you? Uh, right well okay um, uh, first of all I, I am not convinced that there is a philosophy in rugby you know, when, when you go to interviews and when you go to speak to coaches and say, what's your philosophy on this? What's that? You know, over the years, I've come to consider many things and, and uh, a vision is vital. Uh, having a vision of how the game should be played. Um, and, and, you know, people talk about strategies, you know, the strategy is a plan, a plan's a strategy. But as um, as Tyson, Mike Tyson says, the first punch in the face, your plan goes out the window. Um, and we had the same approach in very different ways. We had the same idea of how the game could be played. As, as an ex-prop forward who was a goalkeeper, I always wanted the ball in my hands. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that at Mosley, with, along with a guy called Mark Lynette, we... We were two or three seasons running the top try scorers for the forwards uh, because we love to get the ball in our hands. So, uh, you know, uh, handling the ball for me was a key component of being a forward. Uh, I, I never came from the school of, of, of um, oh, you're a prop, don't touch the ball. So we had a similar thinking on the way the game should be played, which involved everybody. But you can't do one thing without another in rugby and, and, and the forwards job before you run with the ball or pass the ball is to get your head down and do some graft and win the ball. And, uh, and, and uh, the back's job is to do something exciting with it and not just kick it away or, or, or run into a brick wall. Um, so we had a shared vision and I'm very proud of the fact that in our time together, we've only had two real, not even fallouts, arguments over, over selection. Um, and um, I think that's testament to the thinking the same way, you know. And we would quite often be in a car driving home and one of us would ring and said, I've just had a thought. And the other would go, let me tell you mine first because I bet it's the same one. And it was. And, and that happened so often. Right. It, was, it, it became a bit scary. And I know that my wife and I know that uh, Flip, uh, Streety's wife, got pissed off with the amount of time we spent together and, and talked, to be honest with you. I can. So yeah, this course. is a really, really important part for me about coaching and philosophy and, and vision and, and stuff at the moment, especially with different methods of coaching and eco-D and you know, block practice, games-based stuff. So from, I've got, and the older I've got now, the more clearer I'm, I'm seeing what, coaching philosophy or vision or whatever we want to we want to label it as is that yes there are slightly better styles of coaching but coaches need to be comfortable in their own skin and not you know when we first started coaching we used to I remember a picture of there's a big road and then there's a path through a forest and everyone's go through the go through the forest create your own path make your own footsteps in the sand and these days, everybody's except, expected to coach in a similar way with a similar style and, and things. And I, and I think that coaches have lost their way on bringing good practice. So I think there's a, along the continuum of coaching, coaches need to know 
where and when. So if you're on a sell tell continuum, you have to be all of it all of the time and just realize what you need to be in the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes, that group of players. And, and I think that that's the bit that people have missed at the moment. It's, oh, it's quite trendy to be at the games end. And, and we, me and Smithy, you can watch our sessions. We do loads of games, yeah, lots of it. Would we get some really good technical detail in as well? Yeah, you bet you're asking me to do. Now, Maggie Alfonso became the best seven in the world. And that wasn't just through games. A lot of it was. A lot of it's in a field on a on a Thursday night at seven o'clock with the harness with Graham and working on their own and stuff. So, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I know I, I go off tangentially. So there's a bit about mythology, uh, about the method of how you coach. However, whether it's philosophy, vision, whatever it did, the one thing that that made the difference about where you get to, if you really want to take your coaching to a new level, is about understanding the player. And that connection is something that's rarely written about in any academic books I've got. But anything that um, that you read about in, in in skill acquisition and stuff. So Graham had a very, you know, the, the, our forwards, and he said he needed to turn them into a into a monster. So that that was his job. So that that's quite a different mindset. So our, our meetings before on a match day or in the week would have been so <laughs> were so different. Um, you know, and you know. Graham's job was to get these fours into a bit where they were going to take on the world and not take a backward step. And um, and I had a bunch of players that wanted to play with a bit of flair. They didn't really want too much pressure on. They wanted to give me a license to go. Just let's go and play. So so although it's a very if you come in, you go oh, those coaches are so different. Actually, we were just connecting in the right way with the player group that we had. And once you get that connection with the players, then you coach and you get a. a you know, will me and Graham the best coach ever? Probably not. Did we get results continually year after year after year? Yes, we did. And a lot of that was due to the fact that we had trust with the players. The players could trust if we were going to go off on the tangents, they're going to trust that we were doing the best for them. We were so invested in our squad and our players. You know, I'd coached a lot of, you know, Rachel Burford, I've coached for 20 years. You know, so it's first picked up birth when she was 14 and stuff. So that long investment, Kate McLean, 16, Nolly, 15, 14, probably. We were really invested in the trust that that forward group had in what Graham was going to do because he put them through some, well, horrendous physical training session. But we had a really tough pack. And I remember Amy Garnett um, in one team meeting said, international rugby is meant to hurt. Um, and that was that was driven in, in that. And I'll, I'll go one more point because I know I'm going on a bit. Um, but also in a f- coaching philosophy or coaching style, what we did was we did four five thousand miles a month quite often. And so we were so that bit about how we wanted the players to play. I would start off in London or wherever and go up and down up to Newcastle via KT down to the other side down the southwest back to London. And Graham would do the same when we follow each other round. And I would see some of the players individually for like goal kicking, et cetera. But we'd also, I would do decision-making, catch, pass skills with all the group, all the four. We didn't separate them into fours and backs. And Graham saw, saw the fours, I saw the backs. And Graham would do the same on contact skills, collision skills, um, Jacqueline, uh, body management. And we end up having, you know, our outside, our wings were the, was, could have played seven for most countries in the world. They were, they're, their um, breakdown skills were incredible around side backs, as good as good as most forwards. And but when you get somebody like Fran Matthews, who is a tiny outside back, coming to you and saying, "Smithy, I'm recovering from this injury. I want you to get me in the harness and batter me." 
which happened on more than one occasion, you know you're doing something right. Because for Fran, it wasn't about being battered. It wasn't about the effort that we did in the session. It was about the confidence in her head to go and play when I pushed her beyond what she believed she would suffer in a game. And on, um, I've got a good story about Fran, actually. So she was coming back from injury. She would, uh, Graham had got this programme of, of rehab, using the harness and getting into strong positions and stuff. It was a Six Nations and as if there was a few weeks out and it was snowing. I went over um, to meet Fran. So we went into this big, to, there was a rugby pitch behind her house. Um, big rugby family was Alex Matthews and stuff. So I harnessed Fran up to a fence that was around the pitch and I had, um, I had a rug pad and it was snowing. It was horrendous. It was freezing. I, I was sliding all the way driving there and there's nobody about. And as I was there and she's in this sort of position of being scrunched tower of power and I'm smashing her with this rug pad to, to get, I'm thinking if anybody walks past now, <laughs> the police are going to go, this bloke's chained up this young girl to her face <laughs> and, is, and he's beating her up. It, I, that, that's, that's what it looked like. And I was thinking, oh my, I was expecting 999 any stage now because oh, that's, it must have looked horrendous through that turn. Outsider. really brings home the fact that the players had a lot of trust and belief in the system that you were trying to create otherwise you know it doesn't you know a person doesn't sort of go unwillingly into a harness to then be battered for for five <laughs> to ten minutes in a skill zone that takes extraordinary trust and belief from both sides on on coaching players so I think I think that was that's a really extraordinary story yeah guys I want to return if I could uh, although we know what happened in 2014 um I think we should talk about 2010 and about the loss. Um, the loss um, was probably the one of the highlights, the television highlights of the year was the, was the World Cup final. Um, uh, there was a documentary oh no, created at the time that we didn't see for four years. Um, there was a documentary, and Gary and Graham know this, Jess may not know this. There was a documentary made at that time. So a lot of the words and things that you said um, can be seen in this documentary. And it's being a rugby nose, I got to see a lot of that. And I'm very honored that I know you. I, 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 knew, I knew you, Gary, really. Not, I didn't know Graham at the time. Um, and I was, I was hoping that you'd win, which is strange for a Welshman to say, but I was really hoping you'd do it. Um, because, you know, it was, we needed a fill-up of, of, in, the, in the Northern Hemisphere for women's rugby. We needed something. Um, but there was a lot of things you've mentioned and I've learned in my research that weren't in your control and may have sort of heavily influenced the things that came later. So let's start with funding. Uh, I know that the men's team at the time were, were preparing for the 2011 World Cup. And obviously you've been a year out from that. You would have been hanging around with, I mean, hanging around with their coaches, but you'd have been in the spheres of influence of finding out what they were doing with their money. Now, without going into too much detail, uh, if it embarrasses some people, but say what it was like to be the England coach, Gary, if you'd started off by, what was it like to work with an England team with the funding that you had at that time? It wasn't a surprise to me with the, you know, there the wasn't funding, saying so just. So probably unaware about the, um, we were the RFUW. Um, so we had a temporary porter cabin as our office in the back of the North car park. Um, 
I think we're in there for about seven years in our temporary quarter cabin. Um, there were rats underneath it and it would come in on a daily basis through holes underneath the quarter cabin. Um, we had old style electric heaters to, to warm the place up in there. But it did make us quite, I think it made us really close as a group actually. Um, so yeah, so the funny, it was, it was very different. Um, we weren't allowed to wear the rose, the England rose. We had, um, we had a tulip, the girls called it. So it looked a bit like a rose, but it's quite elongated and, and um, that. So yeah, as the, the RFUW had, had its own badge, its own rose with the RFUW underneath it. So there was a real sort of, um, yeah, it wasn't integrated. Integration didn't start a lot later. So uh, the girls were all, um, they were all amateur. Um, There's a misconception that the girls were professional. They train like professionals and still did too. So the money came in. Um, but I think I've been brought up on it. I, I've been brought up since the early 90s having little funding or no money. And and, and it and it become something that I'd hoped would change. And, and in the integration talks last for, lasted for years, to be honest. They, they went on a long time. Um, and obviously we felt the change when it came in. But um, yeah, it was different, you know, um, just on having enough training kit, just, you know, the girls having to wash when we were in camp because they didn't have a top to wear the next day and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I remember one of the early sessions turn up on one of the England camps and there's a bleak test going on. And because there was no um, funding for internal facilities, I think the bleak test was with um, somebody put a cassette tape in a car, turn the, turn the radio up as loud as they could. <laughs> And the players at the far side of the uh, of the lane struggled to hear the bleep, and they had to they had to carry on with whoever was inside them. They could hear the bleep from the car. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, time change. So yeah, it was tough 2010, but I, I think there were there were lots of other factors about why we lost. I, I wouldn't say funding was one. Graham, talk about the kit. Well, uh, before before that, straight, you told me a story the other day that all the funding could have gone out the window. Uh, uh, yeah. If Kim Shaler had missed the tackle on Heather Moyes in 2006? Yeah, it's probably worth telling because this is really, um, it's an untold story that, that never really came out. So, so we, so Carol Ishwood, who started the whole RFUW off and is still an incredible lady and still, you know, pretty much drove the women's game and then definitely drove the women's game in England is that, so she put together our bids to UK Sports, Sport England as, as the fun, as the funding week and, um, a bit like Olympic sports these days, we, we had a criteria of what we needed to get the funding for the next four years. Um, only me and Carol knew that if we didn't get to the final in 2006, funding was going to be taken away from the game. And wow. yeah, so obviously we didn't want to tell the players, we didn't want to tell um, the staff, we didn't want to put the pressure on them that if they don't get to the final, we, we if we hadn't got to the final, we wouldn't be sitting here now, I can tell you that. Right. So... We're beating Canada, um, 18-17, Graham? Is that the score? Semi? Uh, it was, yeah, it was something like that. Like that. There was about a point or two in it. Point or two in it. And Heather Moyes, the Canadian um, gold medal, uh, bobsleigh gold medalist, had, had transferred sports and played um, played for Canada. And I think she'd scored a hat-trick in the game, or she scored at least two. She scored two tries. She was rapid. She, she was. She was absolutely electric. And... But we're winning by a point, it's close. And anyway, she makes this great from my, my memory says their own line. It could have been 20 metres out. I don't, it's one of those things that yeah. I remember. But there was a, there was a it break. It was from made. about there, 22 Street. It, it, okay, it, yeah. it was a long way out. Yeah. And um, 
and she's off. And um, if she scores, there's about a minute or two to go. That's that's the RFUW gone probably. And Kim Shaler um, managed to tackle her in the corner, um, get her into touch, whistle went. And um, me and Carol hugged each other, um, walked over. I remember Jeff saying to me, mate, you look like you've seen a ghost. What's the matter with you, Pear? I was never in doubt. We're thinking, you have no idea <laughs> of the importance That's unbelievable. of that tackle. Um, and I don't, I, I don't think we made a big thing about it. We, we cracked on and stuff. But yeah, it was... Um, Jeez. Talk about sliding doors moments. That yeah, yeah. That was the semi-final in Canada 2006 was Blimey. a sliding door. Good but it wasn't even on Kim's wing. Kim was on the opposite wing. Yeah. Oh, really? And she, she sprinted across on the angle and, I don't know, probably probably caught a 10 metres from the line. Yeah. But the, obviously, the two tries before tied her out, Graham. So it was. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah. But going back to you, what you're saying then about... I think there's... Uh, well, who sponsored, who, sponsored the who sponsored the women's Well, uh, up until 20, 2009, it, it was Gilbert, which was okay, you know, not not the best. But then we we got this, we got a kit deal with Nike on the back of the men's kit deal. I think about two thousand nine, because two thousand yeah, it was two thousand nine because we were wearing it in the in the Nations Cup in two thousand nine, um, and. You know, look, from memory, the men's allowance was £500,000 from Nike in kit for the seniors, the Saxons, uh, under-20s, under-19s, um, and, and the girls for uh, senior for 18 and, and uh, under-18s was 50000 Um wow. To the point where... Um, one of the summer tours, um, the girls had to buy their own Nike vest at a cost of about a fiver with the rose on it, which, you know, uh, we we were well looked after staff, I think. Um, but but I do think back and, and wonder whether the staff could have actually econ economised a little bit and, and the girls didn't have to spend a fiver on a vest because you're going to Canada and it's going to be 90 degrees. New Zealand belting that one. Off the pitch, there is the final whistle. The Blackburns are the world champions yet again. What do you think went wrong from the playing, from the actual playing on field side? Because you, it, it wasn't, it, you didn't start well. So I think it probably, so at the time, worst moment. You know, apart from deaths I've had in the family, it was the worst thing that happened. It was, it was right, that right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't. My every waking moment was was thinking about that, and there wasn't. And there was a lot of waking. I didn't sleep, and and definitely for, for three or four months, it was. You know, I, I at one stage I thought I'm never going to get over this. I really didn't. However, what what it did do was, in hindsight, it was it was the best thing that happened. And that takes a lot, as Graham said, that takes a long time to cool. to realise and the impact of that about. And it was that. And I think that post, I think that post competition reviews are pretty pointless. And not in fact, there's nothing to be learned, but the, they're done too quickly post the event. Right, and right. emotions rule what people think or perceive has happened. And it's so raw. I think it's very difficult to get a proper steer on what, what did happen. You know, we, we had a whole range of things from it's your fault, their fault his fault um Maggie Alfonso put 
she didn't have enough pea and ham soup, I think, on one of the weeks. Um, <laughs> and it becomes this really blurred view of, and it is a blame thing because it's like we put so much into it. I never for what, till the second the whistle went, I never for one moment thought we were going to lose it. I was thinking, oh, come on, hope, let's win it. And I was thinking, oh, it's a couple of minutes ago, and we've left it late. But I never once crossed my mind we're going to lose. And, and Bill Bezik, who works at the time, you know, said, like, one of the problems we had, was he, his phrase was, we didn't have enough cards. You know, we hadn't lost very often, you know. And I was fortunate in in sort of the other stuff that I did with, with England as well is that, you know, I'd won something like what, 93% of games over a 100-game run or something. So we were we were really fortunate we'd won so, and we'd won so much that we didn't have enough cards. And, and so that's why I had no... Con- I had no conception that we could even lose that game. So it was really strange. The whistle went. I was so nervous, thinking, "Well, we, surely we 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 we've won already." And no, we hadn't. Um, so, so that was probably the emotions of it. I've lost track lost track of myself. There <laughs> was the question going on. No, no, it was it was to do with in the game itself. I remember. Okay. The, the, so yes, you, you, so some friends thought something went wrong right at the start of the game. Yeah, so we, we cut the, we picked up the just before Graham jumps in. I think the one thing that they did do is make us when we get ready for 2014, it was it transformed our coaching into making sure that players were going to be ready and the word pressure had gone. And actually, we that bit about the pressure in the final with the capacity house coming down 316, those things we didn't deal with and we hadn't equipped them well enough for that. I definitely didn't. And um. So that was a big. That was the biggest lesson for me, but I didn't realise that till probably about six months later. Really, sure. Graham, you said in a conversation we had ages ago that there was something on the way to the ground. That's- well, I think there's a you know this this uh, pressure, uh, uh, mental resilience, mental toughness, whatever you want to call it, pressure, how to deal with it. It, it started actually. Uh, there was always going to be pressure because it was a home World Cup. Sure, but then when you're getting to the first game at uh, Surrey Sports Park and it's sold out and you hear stories of ticket touts outside Surrey Sports Park, you're thinking, this is getting a bit silly. And then uh, our media officers started to put some of the um, newspaper articles on the wall of where we were, uh, where we were accommodated. Uh, and, and it basically just became wallpaper. Right, and, and and then obviously we we got through um, the various rounds uh, fairly easily. Uh, the the semi final against Australia should have been a lot easier than it was. We should have been possibly twenty five points up at half time, uh, and, and we also lost Fee Pocock in that game, which was a, a bit of a blow for the squad. Um, but. Driving down the 316 when on a normal day of the Six Nations, if the men aren't playing, it's dead. Yeah. Or you're driving to Isha to play in the Six Nations and nobody has a clue who you are. Then driving down that 316 to see rammed with people with uh, St. George's flags, with Union Jacks, ticket touts trying to sell tickets. And and then as we got into the, 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 the stadium at the Stoop, we were into the middle of a car park. We had to fight our way through fans to get to the changing room. And I, I think that that, that was uh, mentally an issue uh, in hindsight. And it is a truism. You cannot win a game of rugby in the first 20 minutes. 
but you can come close to losing it in the first 20 minutes. And um, we dropped the kickoff and we didn't play well for the first 15, 20 minutes. And that gave New Zealand a lot of momentum. And, and yes, we did fight back. Yeah. Um, but with hindsight, we, as Streety said, we, we hadn't got enough cards and some of those cards were mental. Right. The mental resilience wasn't quite right okay. on that day. And there's a number of factors for that. So one of the, so the end of the documentary is, <clears throat> is interesting to me and it's, and I never forgot it. And even when we first met, cause we met, um, um, shortly before the 2014 tournament and I never forget it. Cause when I saw you were working at the time and I remember you being invited to watch you do some work and Tamara Taylor was there. And as soon as I saw her, I went, you're from that documentary in 2010. <laughs> and at the end of the story, and if you get a chance to watch the documentary, at the end of the documentary, Tamara is in the, is in the stands crying. I, I, of course, why wouldn't you be? And, you, and she turned to the camera and said, We were supposed to win. That was the end of the story. We went to win it. <laughs> and of course, you know, I've, I've only got a small inkling of what that's like. You know, I've, I've had some bad times myself, but nothing like that. I think the question I should ask is, you were so close. You were so good. It's such a good team. Um, after, afterwards, did either one of you fear for your jobs? And that's an awful thing to say. I mean, it's easy to say it now in hindsight, but at the time, did you think you were going to get fired? Because this is your second, Graham, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, it was my second loss in a World Cup final. And, and, and Streety obviously has said how, how badly he took it and, and the length of time... Well, I'm not going to say recover because I, I still don't think I've recovered from losing in 2010. Um, but I was on the field, obviously, having lost one in 2006. And uh, I, I'm not sure it's because people weren't sure how to approach me, but nobody would come near me on the field after the final in 2010. Uh, I hadn't got a clue where Street he was. Um, I really didn't give a toss about the medal ceremony, to be honest. And then I felt an arm around me and it's probably the one other person in the world that knows me be uh, better than Street, he was David Rose. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he knew that I wasn't going to punch anybody. But, I mean, Street has worked hard over the years trying to change my body language because I was a bouncer for many years. So my body language can be, uh, can be threatening uh, sometimes, not all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, Rosie came round and... and he says, mate, I don't know what to say. Just, uh, you know, I'm just here. And, and, and um, I didn't think at that time we were going to get fired. Uh, I don't know why. I didn't, it didn't cross my mind. Um, maybe it's arrogance of, of believing I was still the best coach for the job. Um, but I know Streety's got a slightly different feeling on that. Yeah. Gary? Yeah, I 100% think I thought I was. Um, it was interesting talking about um, you probably where me and Graham still speak four or five times a week and have done ever since. Um, we talk about resilience in players, but not very often about resilience in coaches and about support for coaches. And I think that gets missed a lot because it's a pretty lonely old place a lot of the time, and especially when people see your sort of reflect how you are on a load of other people doing it, which. Yeah, which I think you know, and that that's that's really hard sometimes. That you know, if you know, you lose a game, you're a bad coach. You win a game, you're a good coach. Well, 
you know, that's somebody else has been on the pitch for the last 80 minutes. So I think that's difficult. So, and I spoke to Graham about this the other day where he didn't feel um, he was going to get a sack from 2010. And it's only my summation. I think that having lost in 2006 and keeping his job from that, I think that built up a whole host of coach resilience that, okay, well, it's maybe it isn't just on this game and I, I'm, I am doing a good job. And I, I think he'd got coach resilience from losing. You know, we, we know players, if they have traumas of selection, injury, um, bereavement, uh, parents break up, etc. Those are real traumatic things. And that was, and it was, it, it was, it was so traumatic for me that I went to such a negative, bad place that, yeah, immediately it was like, I'm going to get sacked. And, um, and it was such a big deal. I, I've seen you've watched the documentary and my wife, my, my wife suffers um, very badly. She's very, very rheumatoid arthritis and she was, and so the, that pressure of trying, so, you know, we're away a lot from home, both just in the weeks and World Cup camps and just on the road. And I had to leave up, our, you know, a young son and she wasn't well and we had to have helpers in and things. And that was a pressure on me that, you know, I've let her down. I've let, I've let the family down. I've let my wife down who's coped at home with me being away it was the worst possible thing and I think that the chance to stay on to 2014 to in my head make amends for that was was probably the driving factor for all of us really next time on the final how many hours have we got for this bit probably the most important meeting we ever had let's not go for it because me and Graham were very much about swing the bat I think too often it's a blame game and the first thing you got to do is have a look in the mirror and say, right, OK, we lost that. What did I get wrong? We're going to win the World Cup now. Because if you if, if you can't beat us on a Wednesday night in Waikato until the last minute with your best team and we've got half our team out, well, you've got no chance.